by the light shining forth from every mother's womb into that of the earth, which is a different tone for everybody, and cast their life at the real leaf, accordingly to the hue that this ray is taken. Came you wrote that we exist as these dichotomies, we believe ourselves to be, and what we are perceived as. The latter reminds me of the fruit, whose beginning and whose end is forgotten, because people only fare attention to its ripening, when it is ready for the taking, presented prettily and perfectly, when it's at its most fruitful, so to speak, when you can get the most from it. But do you know what a lime tree looks like in the spring? Have you ever thought about the juxtaposition of the apple pit and the plastic bag? What was that? <laughs> that was uh, Observer, Natalie's song, by um, uh, uh, Johnny Void, uh, a DJ who's, uh, who released his debut album, Selfless, recently. Um, first of all, Johnny Void is a fantastic DJ name. Yes. Um, just, just great. Um, anyway... Uh, uh, I don't know. Sorry if everybody found that off-putting, but uh, I find that um, both uh, uh, entrancing and hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, um, Joe, you know, we just did our uh, our countdown to sync our audio. So some people have asked how our audio sounds uh, so good uh, compared to many of the podcasts out there, which it mm-hmm. does. Um and uh, the way we do it, people, is something I heard from one of the other po- two-man podcasts I listen to. Um, uh, not two women, because I'm sexist. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, um, basically, we just record the... We do a Skype call to uh, to talk to each other, but we record the audio locally, and then we, uh, we mix it together uh, after the fact. So we have clean, straight into the sound card, no uh, internet connection... Uh, sources for each one so clean yeah anyway um i recently <laughs> i listened to the deadcast which is deadspin the sports sites uh mm-hmm. podcast and they recently like included a whole bit at the beginning of theirs um where they did their sync up thing because apparently they do the same deal except they're idiots um so what we do to because you have to sync up the audio that's the one thing is you have to get the timing right so what we do is i count one two three four just by convention because i've always done it and then we both clap on beat five right what they do uh but i'm the only one counting and joe's just listening and he claps and it's synced up perfectly every time what they do is they try to count in unison across a skype connection uh through through the uh the internet which uh, is so funny. I just had to. I just had to bring it up to you, Joe, so we could make fun of them because it's like uh, you've heard how different. Uh, like so, from my end, your clap sounds like it comes a half second after mine. It's the most ridiculous thing. I don't know if this is even funny to anybody else, but people, this is just not that hard. You also hear uh, like major podcasts just using people's cell phone audio, even with guests who are on uh a hundred times cough uh joe house on bill simmons podcast and uh i don't get why people don't just do it right it's not that hard paul what's funny about this is how much it enrages you that they (laughs) count down the wrong way although it is kind of dumb um uh, i admit that it it is beyond bizarre to me that we seem to have figured out uh relatively relatively simply how to edit a podcast with two people so one yeah. of them doesn't sound like they are trapped uh at the in a dumpster 
or uh, recording it waiting to via be or recording the actual Skype feed, which always sounds awful as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, kudos to us. Uh, <laughs> it's one thing we got right about the podcast. And uh, to be fair, any- it did take us like two months of failed attempts to get all this right. Right. But- if, if anyone ever listens to us, uh, they will be impressed. Yeah. By my, um, I don't know, self-righteous bragging. Yeah. Um, anyway, sorry if that wasn't funny, but uh, it you have to <laughs> actually listen to this. So here's the funny part. Go listen to another podcast where a funny thing happens when two people try to count in sync across an internet connection. It does not work at all. I, I, I um, listened to a podcast where they all tried to say go at the same time, and it was it was similarly ridiculous. Like, yeah, to sync up. Just... I, I just don't <laughs> don't get it. It's not that hard to figure out. Just just use the natural rhythm of the human soul, and that's all you need to do. Um, that's what got me where I am today. Mm-hmm. Uh, a jazz, a successful jazz musician, uh, in um, a touring <laughs> duop band. <laughs> uh, there are no successful jazz musicians anymore, except for Kenny G, probably. Um, yeah, or Pat. Uh, what's that name? Pat. Uh, well, that's not going to be fun. There's there's like a couple of these weird. I feel like there are a couple like weird touring bands that are just like super popular and like. That's probably true. Does Dave Matthews count as a jazz band? God, these days he probably does. No. <laughs> He's a fucking jam band. <laughs> Frat folk of the worst. The worst of all genres. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, hold on, now I have to think of that jazz dude's name. Okay. Um, while Joe looks up Pat somebody who plays jazz. Um, Pat Metheny. Pat Metheny. I've never heard of that guy. Yes, yes, so you don't stop. Cool ID, best rapper, you don't stop. Another fucking hundred fucking dollar for the stop for you and your mind. Come on. Yeah, you can never define anything but divine love. I'm a savage beast. <laughs> Slightly above average, at least not. Preference is relative. My reference is consistently. Uh, bring you to another vicinity. I hit you with the riddles consistently. And welcome to Savage Beast. Uh, I'm Joe Gallagher, uh, and with me, fresh off his headlining spot at Glastonbury, it's Paul McLeod. Hey, did Glastonbury happen recently? It did. Nah. You were just not up on these things. Yeah, I just assumed Glastonbury like was swallowed by the earth in like 2002 because um, that's such a 90s thing. Radiohead played an epic set as the um, uh, the twentieth anniversary of their nineteen ninety seven career defining set uh, mm. headlining sh- uh, set at Glastonbury, um, and uh, you know I don't usually love uh, if recordings or anything of festivals. You know the sound is quite bad, um, but the uh, closing rendition of Karma Police uh, was pretty fucking cool with about like. You know, I don't know, 60,000, 70,000 people singing along to it. Damn. Um, yeah. Yeah. That would be pretty good. Yeah. Worth uh, worth checking out the uh, BBC uh, video of that. That's um, interesting because I would think a sing along across 60 to 70,000 people, you'd have such a difference in when the sound was reaching the far corners of the audience that it'd just be all like, well, but when you haven't. Yeah, my God, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> your 
you're just you're you're on a you're, you're terror of poorly recorded sound knows no limits it really doesn't um well when you have uh the actual uh someone from the you know a team from the bbc of sound engineers uh things actually sound good they can just make that they can they can transcend the laws of the speed of sound i'm that's awesome. Uh, yes. Well, they can record and sync things, so they sound good, mm-hmm. um, just as we do. Um, <laughs> uh, although, you know, I'd argue that in in a setting like that, the human brain is probably pretty quick to adjust to delays in sound. Uh, well, I mean, it's just like when you're in a stadium and there's like some sort of chant going on, like you hear you hear mish- mishmash stuff from across the scene. I don't want to get into this. I'm done talking about it. It's, yeah. I don't I think it's nearly about. as bad as you think it is. Um, I, clearly not. Um, <laughs> uh, so Paul, uh, the news of the week in music journalism. I don't know. I don't know if it goes beyond that is that MTV fired all of its really good, uh, news writers, uh, and yeah. critics and, such who were um sort of had established one of the you know uh what do we call it like like king you know it's it's though the kingdom of grantland was divided it was like out that was like alexander the great's kingdom and it got divided up and like mtv news was like where one of the little like uh subsequent grantland spawn kingdoms uh was established Exactly, yeah. Those who didn't go to the the ringer and who were uh, decent that I can recall anyway ended up at MTV News. Right, um, right. That's sad, uh, which bums me out. What really uh, offended me was that at least part of the problem <laughs> was uh, that uh, prominent bands whom MTV uh, writ large wanted to do business with, namely like have on their um, shitty TV shows. right. Like Wild um, and Out, which is somehow yeah. still on. <laughs> is TRL still on? I bet that's dead now. No, I think that's dead. Okay. Um, anyway, so bands like uh, specifically named in the article Kings of Leon and Chance the Rapper um, both ha- saw uh, thoroughly mild negative reviews. There was nothing like personal or... Uh, mean about them it was just like yeah this isn't you know the best thing by this artist uh had their management go to mdv and say we are never working with you again unless you take down that article um so of course mtv said yes because they don't actually give a shit about these um smart writers they sort of accidentally hired probably from the ceo's perspective (laughs) um and uh uh, of course, the articles were taken down despite whatever efforts the editorial staff put up. Um, so, you know, MTV is going to MTV, and the editors probably did all they could. Uh, I think we should um, just condemn the shit out of Kings of Leon and Chance the Rapper for this. Um, that's <laughs> bullshit. Paul, I'm you... <laughs> yeah. Well, no, go ahead. Condemn, oh, condemn, full throated condemnation. You're fucking, you're fucking Kings of Leon. You've been around for how long? Have Kings of Leon been around at least fifteen years. I don't even know when they started making music. Um, you've, you've been successful. You're obviously past your peak. Everybody would uh, acknowledge that. 
Um, even if you don't want to, who gives a fuck about some blog post on a website? Like you have to be tough enough to deal with that. If you're going to put your music out into the world, that's kind of part of the deal is if you want people to consume and enjoy your music on a mass scale, you have to accept that some of them aren't going to like it. And some of them might, uh, have jobs as writers. Just, just don't be such a fucking pussy. Um, Chance the Rapper, who is still in his creative peak, uh, we all hope. Hey, Chief. Um, uh, just, you know, I he's he's got this big reputation as a dude who's uh, against corporate bullshit because he doesn't have a label and he doesn't sell his music and all this stuff. And that's all great. But then uh, it gets undone pretty fast when it turns out you're so thin-skinned you can't handle one person saying, eh, this track isn't so great. Um, so... Fuck these people. Uh, I'll probably still listen to Chance's music, but I uh, I will always be annoyed at him, basically. Yeah, actually, I have three responses. The first is I'm amazed that these people, that anyone cares about an MTV. Like, exactly. That anyone looks at MTV's like website. And I mean, I guess all these people wrote for it. I mean, some of them, like Molly Lambert, is a fucking great writer. And I mean, I, I still looked at her stuff and several of them are really good writers. So, I mean, on the one hand, I'm glad people are looking at it. But like. I yeah, mean, and I, also I, Brian, I, uh, what's his face? Brian Phillips. Great yeah, writer. I mean, I just want to give, I guess I want to give credit to all the hundreds or thousands of artists who like, like, do not care a single bit about like what's written about them on MTV News's website. I mean, that's <laughs> just, just, that's the way to go. Um, or take it in the spirit it's meant, which is like, you know, like, think yeah. about what, whether what thoughtful people have to say about your music and it's and not bad. yeah and it's not like that's not to degrade the quality of the work the writing i mean the writing is yeah. from critical from critics and you know essayists to people who read that it's not attended for it's not constructive criticism for kings of leon to learn from um sure. uh so there i share your outrage um uh and then Point two of three. Hopefully, I'll remember the third point by the time I'm done with point two. Uh, I just I don't care about. Well, actually, actually, like it. It seems like I actually don't blame like Chance the Rapper that much. Like he's about to be on MTV, and his management is like, yeah, like our person, like our person's about to be on like your like. like the season premiere of your show and your website is like his new track sucks like like what the fuck is this like that's the pr person's job to be like fuck this you know like they they don't have it's kind of like asking a here we go here's the nba free agent angle it's like asking an agent to be like oh no you got to understand like we need we need this guy's you know salary to be lower because that's you know um, that's like his, oh, that's what we think his market value is, or because like we need to fit some other guys in and the agent has to be like, no, no, fuck that. Pay the guy like the most you can pay him. And, and I think that's what the, the PR people, they only have one job, which is to have like an endless stream of awesome press about their artist. So, okay. You know, fair enough. Do you want my response to that now or after point three? <laughs> no, it'll give me more time to think of point three. Okay. Um, yes, I realize that if the PR person is told to just do PR, that is what they, uh, will and probably should do. I'm saying that's why I'm putting this on chance and Kings of Leon. I'm not blaming the agent. Um, 
And the big difference between Chance the Rapper and, uh, let's say, um, who's a, a Solomon Hill, a shitty NBA player who got a huge contract. Um, <laughs> uh, the big difference between them, other than that Chance is much better at his job than Solomon Hill is, is that uh, Solomon That's Hill... That's true. Um, <laughs> is that Solomon Hill uh, uh, is not doing basketball, supposedly, for the artistic aesthetic purity of of playing basketball he's playing basketball to make a shitload of money chance the rapper obviously wants to make money but he also even uh is even Mm. pitching himself as somebody who believes in artistic purity and aesthetic values and everything and maybe uh artists aren't as cognizant of the way journalism works and the idea that uh journalists and critics need to have uh the independence to not be suborned out of offering their uh true opinion Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe you know, everybody is not aware of the fact, the idea that that's an important thing. Um, but, uh, so maybe this is just me projecting my own, uh, ideology <laughs> on right. them. But, uh, I think if you, if you're taking music seriously, you have to take music opinions seriously. And so this from chance who is it's the article at least says that he personally was involved in the decision. Um, then that being the case, like just just screw off, man. Just take it. Somebody didn't like your song, whatever. Yeah, or or man up and just be like, that's that's my third point. Like, don't fucking whine about it. Like, mm-hmm. like just don't be like, oh, I didn't like that. I'm not going to be on your show. End of story. Yeah. Like, don't try and get it washed like from the website. Like, that's probably what's more annoying. Just 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 you know, like okay, Kanye. Yeah. Kanye wouldn't have complained. Kanye just would have stopped returning their calls for like three years. <laughs> Kanye might do that anyway for any reason whatsoever. Right, exactly. <laughs> As usual, the moral is to be more like Kanye. <laughs> um, in in certain contexts, for sure. Yeah. Um, Paul, certainly you, at music awards shows, one should be as much like Kanye oh, as possible. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Paul, do you? Um, what are your thoughts on the death of yet another long form? Uh, critic critical outlet. So, I mean, the media landscape. This is about media writ large, not um, just music journalism. Um, I'm going to use the word writ, the phrase writ large a lot in this podcast for some reason. Um, uh, is bleak. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's bleak as fuck. Um, I presume that the I wasn't there. I presume that the high point of like the written word as a an instrument of people uh, understanding and uh, discussing uh, contemporary culture was probably the middle of the 20th century. That's my guess. Um, That's when people were wealthy and uh, uh, there was a large, somewhat educated middle class interested in these sorts of things. Right. But it wasn't possible to steal uh, written content at will. Um, so uh, uh, I presume that that's when things were at their highest, and before that it was probably less good because mm. people had less money and less good taste and everything. Um, but uh, so maybe this isn't the bleakest it's ever been, is my point. But it's probably the bleak. It's probably just continuing to get bleaker since that high point. And the question becomes like, uh, at what is there a leveling off? Like, uh, is there any economical way to write things down? Uh, and support a large number of people doing that uh, in uh, a rich country of 300 million people? It kind of seems like the answer is 
uh not really yeah um <laughs> well i mean and i think the the places that distribute i mean that you know it's someplace like mtvnews.com for sure uh gets um you know the most important chunk of its traffic from social networks um mm-hmm. you know facebook and twitter and you know, and when it comes to Facebook, um, they want content that looks good natively um, on mm-hmm. Facebook, particularly on the mobile app. And they've, you know, they've tried that with instant articles to and and other ways to bring like that sort of content into their platform. But like it, it just doesn't work the way that you know video and now live video uh works so well these social platforms so the content is moving even further away from long form so if it does level off or even just like interesting written shit like i don't care yeah. how long it is right you know? right yeah right right well something longer than like a status update <laughs> yeah we'll say yeah um uh you know the content is if it does level off like way the way that say like uh to semi-relevant things like vinyl sales or uh uh, you know, indie bookstores uh, have you know leveled up off and and rebounded. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like this kind of writing has a ways further to go before there is like a genuine rebirth of it because it just doesn't. Uh, it's like compact disc, man. No one, no one can. Uh, people like the idea, but there's just it doesn't fit in with our lives right now. You know. Yeah, I mean, the real thing is somebody just. You know, this is what music studio labels said in like 2001 is we need to create a culture of paying for our product. Um, right. Which is fine. It's, fine. It's well, I mean, I I agree, but that's like saying um I need to have a 16-inch penis. Like it just doesn't do anything to say right. that. <laughs> yes, you actually have um, to do it. And and, and you can't maybe. <laughs> right. Um uh right. so um uh the it, I think the only way to there's no way I think to have display advertising uh, financially support the uh, the careers of of hundreds to thousands of people writing about stuff. Um, yeah, in our in our current economy. Yeah, that's um, a, that's a good point. There are only so many people like brands looking to purchase display ads on like think pieces about you know lemonade. Like, yeah, that that's just exactly. I mean, and they're going to like uh, maybe one or two outlets writing think pieces about lemonade, but not 20. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> I mean, speaking as somebody who places ads online for brands like uh, display advertising kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, it's the it's worst a, kind of ad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I literally occasionally an ad I will see so many times or, or remarketing ads do catch my eye, I will say. But m- the vast majority of them just like in yeah. and out. I don't even know it's there. Yeah. It's um, when it's when. I, yeah. The only time it works on me is when I've been to like the website of something and thought about buying it and then it pops up again. Yeah. That's you know, what I'm saying with the right, remarketing. Right. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah. Amazon. I, I know what remarketing means, but our. Yeah, our fair. Sweet listeners uh, may not. Um, fair, fair. I, it know. only seems like everybody in the world is a digital marketer now, but it's not true. There's this company that, like, I looked at their watches once, and like, I'm like, these are pretty sweet watches, but it wasn't in the mood to spend $175 on a watch that day. Mm-hmm. And although it's a good deal for a nice watch, 
Um, and then it has continued, like it's worn me down. Like I've been, I've seen, been served the ad again, like five times. And now I'm just <laughs> like, man, I may just have to buy this one. <laughs> <laughs> just get them to shut the fuck up. Yeah. It's either that or clear my browser history. Fuck that. Yes. Um, uh, it's a uh, MVMT watches in case oh, anyone yeah. wants to take a look at those. Yeah. Those, those advertise on Deadspin all the time. Yes. Um, um anyway <laughs> yeah uh so basically it's depressing where the culture of the written word is right now certainly yeah on uh uh written topics it's funny that like uh up to a few years ago for the previous several years i i really just thought man the thing i want to do is is be an online writer um yeah because now looking at it it's obvious to me that the only way to enjoy uh writing something there are two ways one is to actually be at the very top of the profession and make a shitload of money and two is uh work a regular job and just do that on the side because uh, trying to be like the the random uh blogger grinder uh seems like hell on earth that would make you hate writing before very long well Um, you mean if you were using that method to try and get to the top like if you were trying yeah, yeah. So you would try to get to the top, and then after a few years, you would realize you're not going to get to the top. Or, right. uh, you know, because even, you know, uh, this is a podcast about people who are very good at their jobs who never get the kind of acclaim and financial rewards they deserve. So right. we all know that even being good isn't a yeah. guarantee of anything. Um, so, yeah, after a few years, you would just be probably, I would imagine, become embittered at the idea that you're doing perfectly good stuff. And uh, actually, there's no good way to make a to raise a family on doing that. Yeah, poor. Uh, thinking of all these poor bands that should be playing in front of stadiums and earning our ire for doing so, but also making <laughs> a shit ton of money. It's just just a just a thousand capacity club tour. That's you can make yeah. a good living doing yeah. that. Yeah, I think the band that that uh, uh, maybe I look back and I'm saddest about is the ninety excellent nineties alternative rock band Hum. Yeah, who just like they really should still be like. I mean, I feel like they could have cracked out dinos- like Dinosaur Jr. style, just kind of cracked out this like weird, crunchy rock for, you know, 15 <laughs> years. And uh, they really only got like two albums and like one brief reunion tour. Is, uh, is Not A Surf still around? Yes, they are. And they have really persevered and I think developed a bit of a like low-key death cab like cult following like they never like broke through but like they they kind of reinvented themselves as a more fun uh kind of a more fun band yeah and uh, definitely have some some devoted adherents that works i think there there's a couple at my office who met uh maybe i told the story before so if i did stop me uh met uh on a 311 forum on the internet hey. like in the in the last like within the last 10 years um <laughs> which i i was so dumbfounded i actually uh made fun of the way this people's marriage was instigated it's just like i had no idea there were um dedicated 311 fans and, i mean let's and forums but I, yeah it turns out there's a whole cult following so i guess being a fun legacy band is a great idea yeah but i mean I, you were right 311 sucks <laughs> not a surf they don't suck i mean they're they're right, right, right. like like decades of popularity seems a lot for them but they they don't suck <laughs> yeah 311 that's that was my thing is i just 
I just don't get it. But but apparently that works. Yeah. You know, there's certain bands that that just uh, hit a little niche audience. I'd and, love uh, for someone to come on this yeah. show and play me like the 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 like deep the cuts deep cuts of three eleven <laughs> that like really show what a what a good band they are. Uh, I I have I know two people who would be willing to. Do wow, that. <laughs> I don't know if they would after this. Though. I already made fun of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, and God bless them. If they love Three Eleven, that's great. I just don't understand it. I think you um, and I, I think you and I should go on a podcast of someone who like uh, like some podcast. Well, that yes, but like I think you and I would do well on a podcast. Someone who's like like doesn't like the Smashing Pumpkins and makes fun of them. I feel like we would have a good time. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no. I mean, I could laugh at the Smashing Pumpkins. I, the Smashing Pumpkins are obviously ridiculous in a lot of major ways. Um, yeah. Uh, nobody who's that intent on being uh, super super loved like Billy uh, can get away without being a little uh, silly sometimes. But um, right, yeah. <laughs> yes. This anyway, is, this has been the Smashing Pumpkins minute brought to you <laughs> by that one was your fault. The new Three Eleven album. <laughs> I, when a minute ago, when you were saying we should go on another a podcast, and I said about somebody who loves Three Eleven, I imagined a weekly. 311 only podcast um wow i hope that exists they have an album that came out this year we might need to review it <laughs> at this Two, point it's called we've been such dicks we're obligated it's called mosaic <laughs> wow. that's a terrible name for an album <laughs> yeah oh my god they have a two they also have a two disc greatest hits See, Two discs of yeah, greatest hits by Three Eleven. Essential Three Eleven. There, two discs of essential Three Eleven songs. According essential. You can't the the essence. They're they're essence related. You can't do without them. <laughs> they also have a live album on Spotify of them playing with an orchestra. <laughs> wow, we got to get into this. We could find some good Three Eleven content. Oh my god. Um, we're going to end we're going to end this episode with me picking a track from the 311 orchestra. Joe Joe, let's just get really high and laugh at 311 videos. I think that worked really well. That for would us be before. great. That would be great. Uh, Paul, did you ever listen to the that episode? Not that we I, were No, I'm uh, I'm I'm 4 or 5 episodes behind. There my brother go. though told me when I saw him a couple weeks ago, uh it, Timbo, uh, most loyal listener of Savage Beast. Yeah, Timbo. Um, he uh he told me it was kind of ridiculous uh, how we would just crack up. And I was like, yeah, that's that's what I expected. He he didn't seem like he thought it was hilarious. He seemed like he thought uh, we were being dumb, and it was sort of amusing as a result of that. Yes, that that's that seems like the proper description. Um, yeah, okay, that's what so, I expected. So we came here today not to talk about 311, mm-hmm. but um, to talk about uh, two uh, new albums that have come out. Uh, mm-hmm. in the past uh, month or so. Um, uh, they are by Fleet Foxes and Big Thief. Uh, Paul, which would you like to begin with? Let's uh, let's go ahead and do the uh, marketing savvy thing and do the uh, more famous band first. Okay. 311 it is. Oh, the best of all bands. Um, yeah, here you go. Mm. I need 
I am all that I need. Arroyo Seiko and Thumbprint Scar, uh, <laughs> a three-song suite or three-title suite, anyway, uh, as the opening track of uh, "Crack Up," the new Fleet Foxes album. Uh, yes, and um, Paul, as you said, in a, a way, in um, a segment that may or may not be cut, um, uh, that really <laughs> encapsulates uh, a lot of the album. Uh, in that it's it shows what's I'll use the word different about it and what's yeah. um, absolutely excellent about it. Um, Ooh, are you saying that those are two different things? Well, that's a <laughs> that's a question we should explore here um, yeah. because it's one that I'm exploring within myself. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because that is the the intro to the whole album, and it's. I mean that first bit is like the least Fleet Foxes thing I could uh, I could picture. I mean that's not true. I could imagine um, some sort of digital noise music, but um, three three eleven. <laughs> no, 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 Joe, you don't you don't understand the deep ties between the aesthetics of <laughs> classic Fleet Foxes and three eleven. Um, no, uh, yeah, uh, just just that you get sort of like. Uh, wandering, uh, low-key, finger-picked stuff, and then Robin Pecknold like almost mumble singing, uh, yeah, with barely a tune there. Um, but then you know, like the second time he goes through the theme, then they add some of the vocal harmonies that they're that are uh, just so integral to what they do. Um, even on top of that weird thing that's not very Fleet Foxesy, and then after a minute, you get. Um, a, a fairly classic Fleet Foxes sort of like uh, acoustic wall of sound stomp along. Um, although it is a little bit more dissonant still, I would say, than classic Fleet Foxes. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, it bring this album, uh, well, that, that sort of like dark, uh, somber voice is like woven throughout the album in different mm-hmm. ways you know it, it the the instrumentation drops out and there's um just robin kind of like mumbling to himself and uh i think in in an interview that i was looking at um you know that there's even that's sort of intentional there's this intentional interplay between that and the more and the brighter like more, yeah uh anthemic uh classic fleet foxes um you know meant to be kind of that conversation uh between the two Mm -hmm. uh uh, i don't i don't think i think it's more than just you know like kind of uh despair versus hope yeah um but i think yeah i think that this album pulls out something that was in um 
certainly in their second album, Helplessness Blues, where there seemed to be um, and and disturb like it's hard for me to find there's this undertone of that's like unsettling a lot of the times even when it's mm-hmm. like really uh just some of the most beautiful uh psych folk that you've listened to was that the word i use psych folk yeah and i yeah. think i used um something country uh oh no i said psych country maybe yeah you who knows <laughs> yes um and uh listen to two episodes ago and you'll hear that uh yeah. the, the stoned episode um uh and in this album that's that's all up on the surface and and it really is a lot more schizophrenic going back and forth between these chunks of amazing fleet foxes music and something darker uh somewhat kind of monochromatic and um more dissonant dissonant yeah dissonant experimental yeah Yeah. no uh non-stop right and left i mean so like the the opening scene like you said it those sort of themes that reappear over and over and it's almost like a a lo-fi indie type songwriting a little bit um and then you still do get some of the some of the bigger stuff but it's even that is less uh, centered around the sort of um, really long, really beautiful, but also really um, just a bit off uh, traditional um, um, vocal melodies that uh, Fleet Foxes were uh, just awesome at. Um, you know, with the when you think of like super catchy melodies, you think of uh, previewing a possible future episode, like sort of Max Martin style. Um, really earwormy type of things. Um, but then a band like Fleet Foxes, or I would say like uh, the the best versions of um, uh, Tame Impala, uh, although Tame Impala does it more with guitars than with vocals, um, teach you what a real melody can do when it can go on for like eight bars without repeating. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is what was so transporting about Fleet Foxes before. That still happens some, but it's definitely been in seemingly intentionally downplayed. And you said it was intentional a minute ago. I just assumed it was. Like as soon as I started listening to this album, I started thinking like this feels like a Tom York Kid A type of thing where he got really sick of being really good at the thing he was awesome at and purposefully ran away from it to some extent. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I think that's true, and that um, in the the running away part, I wonder. I mean, I guess I don't know the motivations here, mm-hmm. as because I mean, Tom York made that so abundantly clear uh, <laughs> for Kid A, but he um, made a whole movie about how pissed he was at being good at music. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> need to watch that again. Anyway, um, I just think, I think that some of this this to me. This album also had that sense of um, uh, maybe someone like struggling to uh, bring a creative moment together, you know, like mm-hmm. writer's block or. And it uh, did take him six years to put this album together. Yeah, so. yeah. And you could maybe kind of sense the struggle to um, construct something so ambitious and big. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that's reflected in um the the overall structure of the album yeah um, so i mean i don't 
I don't want to reduce things to is it good or is it bad because I think that's sort of a a, a bad yeah. impulse in criticism. Yeah. But I will say this has sort of been the year of uh, bands I really like producing a third album that is uh, off-putting in some way. Mm. Uh, that happened with the XX. It happened with... Um, I'm counting the uh, the Cloud Nothings album as their third album because it's like the third one since they mm-hmm. became awesome. Uh, and also Japan Droids. Um, and all of those, I would say, while not being bad exactly to varying degrees, were less than inspiring about mm-hmm. uh, as compared to the band's previous catalog. This one, uh, while it was on first listen especially, uh, I immediately knew that I was listening to like a, a different version of this band and you mentioned by the way that there was there there's definitely a, a greater darkness to helplessness blues as opposed to um shit i just forgot the fr- name of the first album of course um is it just <laughs> fleet foxes uh uh isn't it called um uh wait no yeah it is just fleet foxes yeah okay um no, it is a little bit darker, the second one, but I listened to both of them before I listened to this on purpose, just to get context going. And they're a lot more similar to each other than this. Uh, you know, The gap between them is very small compared to the gap between this and Hel- Helplessness Blues. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so even as I was listening to it and saying, like, wow, they really, like, s- clearly self-consciously tried to not do the same thing again. Um, I felt and continue to feel as if... It was an interesting and difficult, uh, if interesting if difficult and not entirely listener satisfying, uh, direction for the band to go. Uh, I'm interested to see how my relationship with it continues to grow. Basically, yeah. I mean, I think I I really agree. I agree with your analysis um, in terms of you know it being a uh, bold and worthwhile direction. Um, and I think I just feel. Uh, I feel even more strongly to me. Uh, I really love this from, you know, the mm. first time I was listening to it. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I want to say I, I really liked it. I just, yeah. it was, I, I knew that I was not like just being embraced the way the previous. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think yeah. it, I think that there was sort of like, there was also that, that tension uh, mm-hmm. was there uh, immediately. And, um, and uh what 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 overcame it was it was so uh, like you know everything is so masterfully done here and it's Mm -hmm. cool to see the band and i'm sure robin pecknold in particular realize kind of the full power of their creativity and Mm -hmm. like work to apply it so ambitiously and that's why the results are so kind of hypnotic and enchanting um and, and the album feels like a singular piece of art which i think there's that's mm-hmm. the real danger when you have these like three part songs and <laughs> stuff like that but when you listen to it as a whole there still are real songs in there um i think a great example is like the third song uh which is Nyad's Cassidy's um mm-hmm. um which has this uh uh, it kind of starts with this like velvet underground, like shambling heavy beat and, you know, then a, a more uh, kind of uh, uplifting working song type vocals come in over it. And it's just it's a great song. It's catchy. And um, 
Uh, and another one is uh, a song that I particularly remembered from when we saw them live, uh, which was uh, If You Need To, Keep Time On Me, mm-hmm. um, which is just, you know, it's a great kind of quiet, maybe one of the quieter songs on the album, more, uh, most direct. And just that there are those, those moments are still here on the album, not compromised by the overall... Um, you know, uh, changes in direction here. Um, and then, you know, it just, it, those movements make sense Mm -hmm. as this LP with individual songs, even though it feels like a singular piece of art. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I've, I love this album, uh, and, uh, uh, so far, um, and, uh, well, you know, with any album, you never, you know, you always wonder if you're going to keep listening to it or not, but, um, sure. especially if it's more, you know, sometimes with an album that's more demanding, you might be like, yeah, that was really cool. And then, but not really like be drawn back to it due to that's the, interesting. I feel like I the effort. Oh, I feel like I have higher hopes for albums like this that are not as immediate because immediate things I feel yeah. like tend to slough off somewhat over time. Yeah. But, um, well, yeah, the, the reward, if you, you hope that it, because you know, if it's like this more demanding album and there's enough like there to draw you back to it, then it's going to sure. be a really good, you know, that's true. Yeah. Some, some difficult albums that seem interesting and difficult at first just turn out to be like obscure as you continue to listen. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, but um, it's interesting that you brought up the Velvet Underground because um, we did not discuss this ahead of time, but that was a comparison I thought of myself. The way I put it was uh, the first two albums sound a little bit like, um, you know, folk country, whatever they are, crossed with a hymnal. Now, that's a little ridiculous because folk and country come out of hymnals to some extent. Right. But anyway, um, and this feels like folk country crossed with the the Velvet Underground was yes. literally the way I put it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, just that sort of like, uh, uh, the there's a lot of um, driving, pulsing, uh, jangly but dissonant uh, chords and so forth um, in a lot of the louder passages, certainly. Um but you're right. There are definitely clear, beautiful, catchy songs, uh, particularly if you need to keep time on me. Um, definitely stands out. And and a lot of other moments, too. It's true. Um, especially as you, on your third or fourth listen, those come through more as you get over the shock of not hearing the same Fleet Foxes you had known before. Um, it's funny, too, when we saw them live, I thought, uh, because I, I took my inability to clearly distinguish what was going on in the songs as a reflection on the acoustics of the crystal ballroom. And I think I made this comment to your wife while you were in the bathroom. Um, but, uh, uh, I just, I thought like that the, the way that the band was sort of in the corner of a large room was perhaps, uh, creating weird smeary echoes throughout it here. Again, we have my obsession with sound quality. Um, but, now I'm thinking it was just that I was not prepared for the uh, different way these new songs were composed. And so I'm kind of curious to go see them again when they come through Tucson in a month or two. Oh, you're going to go see them? See if I feel it. differently. Well, I'm not you're sure. to see them again? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I, I might be able to get free tickets because I recently learned I have a hookup to the best venue here in town. Nice. Um, yeah. yeah. I um, 
uh yeah actually uh the wife and i were discussing seeing them again in september because we both like this album and really enjoyed the concert before and we're wondering about seeing them in a different venue that might be a little more so exactly what you said same <laughs> thoughts nice i'll say Gabe. them again <laughs> okay um so having uh having gone through the excellent if uh somewhat a strange new uh, album by Fleet Foxes. Let's go to another folky, rocky band that shifted directions a little bit with their new album uh, from this past month, namely Big Thief with Capacity. Paul, I have a 30-second question on Fleet Foxes before sure. we go. They, yeah, I was looking at the liner notes for the album, and like one of the members, and I can't remember which ones, I don't have the notes in front of me, Like only played on like five of the songs. Would that be weird to be in a band and like only play on like five of the songs in the studio? I totally think this about like every time there's even a solo acoustic song by the lead singer on a band. Like I f- yeah. always feel like if I were the drummer, I would just I would definitely be sitting there watching him record this and be like, well, I'm not as cool or important. Um, well, like it would be an Be- inescapable thought. <laughs> it goes back to the Beatles had like a huge debate when like because yesterday is literally just Paul McCartney and I guess they yeah. getting some strings, but like like it's they debated whether it was like a Beatles song or not, and then they kind of decided that it it like was part of the whole. Yeah, um, and I think the, about this every time with Radiohead because I'm like, is Ed doing something on every song, like on the <laughs> album? I'm not sure. Or I, th- I definitely have always thought that with like Phil Selway and and Colin Greenwood because I mean there are yeah. whole songs from the past decade and a half that have no acoustic drums and bass and right. like like well, a large number of those songs. Yeah, like everything in its right place. It's just johnny and tom and and nigel like that's yeah. the the band that it, it yeah nigel like does more than anyway it's an interesting yeah. thing it's an interesting question and it was interesting to see it laid out because in very fleet foxes style that liner notes in addition to having a lot of really weird like subtext like mm-hmm. next to all the lyrics um no subtext is wrong but just weird commentaries next to all the lyrics it also like meticulously documented who played what on every single track really uh, yeah so i don't have the physical version of the album um, yeah and uh i was just looking at the wikipedia article and i was marveling at the fact that robin pecknold has literally two dozen things listed as things he played i don't understand how can you be so good <laughs> how could you like play that many instruments well I well, mean, maybe if you just become a good a good musician, you can like pick up a new instrument like much more. Yeah, easily. there's a lot of transferable skill. I think if you're uh, a very good guitar player, you have enough ri- enough rhythm probably to to bang out a drum track or two. Right. Um, you can definitely. I mean, and a lot of these are just like auxiliary percussion bullshit. Like the, right, the marimba. Uh, I guess that maybe has a little bit of tone to it. Yeah. Train and water loop, Korg drum machine, percussion, Verispeed. He He's listed as playing Dreadnought. I don't know what the fuck they mean he's by li- that. <laughs> yeah, he's listed as playing Footsteps and Door. Yeah. That's just, yeah. That's uh, Fleet Foxes. <laughs> Gotta love them. Um, you accidentally introed Big Thief, and we should we should get to it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay.
Mythological Beauty off of the album Capacity by Big Thief. Mm-hmm. Um, Big Thief was one of our, their previous album, Masterpiece, was one of our best of Q2 last year, I think. We both picked it. Yes, yes. Bully on them for releasing another album so quickly. Yeah, I was, my mind was blown when I saw the review for this pop up. I just assumed that nobody bothered producing two albums in a year anymore. Yeah, this song actually came out as a single, and I was like, oh, they're putting out a nice little EP between albums. That's fun. I was like, uh, nope, nope, no, whole other album coming. Yeah. Uh, the Beatles would have released five in this time period, but, you know, that's how indeed, it goes. Indeed. Uh, and had one uh, big tabloid headlining argument. <laughs> I'm sure Big Thief argues. There's just nobody paying attention, which is probably a blessing. So uh, I'm offended that this album doesn't have a song called Joe on it after the last <laughs> one had a... Had a, had a s- really good song called Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, you know... I don't know. There's a lot of really dumbass songs with Joe in it that people love to fucking sing at me all the time. Uh, Hey, Joe. Yeah, that that one I get a lot. And you're always carrying around guns, and you're always saying you're going to go shoot your wife. Yeah, yeah. It's just that's true. It's it's fortunate that those things work out. Um, uh, That. I'm not even going to go for that. It's not actually true. It's not actually true. Yeah. Uh, He's carrying guns around for other reasons. I have a chocolate gun that shoots love. Um, (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Cotton Eye Joe, another classic for you, I'm sure. Yes. Um, Yes. Is Cotton Eye Eye Joe super high? Is that why he has cotton eyes? Uh, I Probably honestly not. have Probably never not. contemplated the lyrics to the worst song ever recorded. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's no devil went down to Georgia. Let me tell you, uh, <laughs> I'd much rather listen to that than fucking Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so Big Thief, uh, yeah, this one threw me a little bit. Um, it's excellent, but once again, um. You know what first drew me into the the previous album masterpiece was they they released uh, like four of the songs to the public before they actually released the album last time around and they were all really good and most of them were built around sort of uh, big loud guitar riffs which I am an eternal sucker for mm-hmm. as we've discussed many times yeah yeah Pi- Pisces Pisces Iscariot. Yeah. Style, loud, quiet, loud, just grunge, yeah. grunge alternative, beautiful <laughs> shit. And there's almost none of that on this album. No. Um, and uh, instead, it really relies on uh, songwriting and lyrics. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for, you know, sort of jangly, quiet, but often sort of rhythmically interesting folk rock. I think that's what really keeps my interest on this is that... Yeah. You know, there are a lot of quiet, thoughtful album, guitar albums out there. But this one has really interesting drum parts, and uh, yeah. I'm also a sucker for those. Yeah. Well, I mean, this right, right. Did you go back and listen to uh, their first album, Masterpiece? I did. Yeah. I, did. I, was, I was actually kind of surprised by, I thought it was going to be really different, and there were a lot more traces of this, of capacity on that album than I thought. Like, there was a lot of more variety for sure. It's more about on, textures yeah. than songwriting is what's different, I yes. would say. Yes, they definitely got better as a band uh, between the two. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, um, 
and I what agree, stands out for you? Yeah, go ahead. Go, you know, go ahead. Oh, I was just prompting you. Go ahead. Oh, what yeah. Say. Prompt me. Prompt me. <laughs> well, let's see. I mean, I guess I I won't bury the lead and say that um, you know I this album. I, when I first started listening to it, I like you, I was surprised and I just kind of thought of it as like a quiet uh, guitar album. You know, uh, I, I didn't think of it much, you know, like, you know, with Julie Byrne in the last quarter and that sort of thing. It just it, mm-hmm. it seemed like that. And then I, I something to, brought me back to it. And on some repeated listens, um, uh, you know, I, I just slowly realized that, like, I thought this album was fucking great. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I, I think pretty sure it's my favorite album of the year so far. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, I can't believe how good the lyrics and songwriting are and how mm-hmm. confidently uh, it, it's those like these like really intense and layered stories that are about like childhood and abuse and uh, like different weird friendships and like and Mm -hmm. also like plenty of like love stories etc like how well sex stories even sex stories yes how well all of that's put together and how many of the songs um stick out as being like absolutely uh um excellent ex- absolutely riveting and um you know first first class i guess i'll say um uh there are i mean like uh you know there's there's uh, the song we just listened to uh mythological beauty like it it has as an example of some of the great song right you know it just has it has this kind of like false ending where you think the song is ending and then then suddenly like the beat reappears and there's this like whole Mm -hmm. nice little coda at the end um uh the the first song another one of my favorites pretty things uh Mm -hmm. it it has like she kind of like um sings like a false version of the chorus a couple times before singing the real or like kind of like she sings the melody of the chorus a few times before like the actual chorus comes up later in the song Mm. um uh and then there's uh you know i think um uh, other songs like um uh uh maybe like great white shark which i think is another standout um that shows uh, you know, this understanding of what Radiohead does, where they generate organic and compelling beauty out of sadness. You know, they're not mm-hmm. being sad. They're like using sadness to show something else. Um, and that the end result is, a, a, you know, when you have an album that has so much sadness on it and you still <laughs> want to listen to it over and over again. Um, even when there's a bunch of like even violence in the songs, um, mm-hmm. uh, you, um, uh, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, and, yeah. uh, I, yeah. And I think that, that when I, you know, it comes to it, I, I just, it, to me, what I always judge by, you know, is, is what my favorite album is, is always going to be one where I just like, 
end up being like, no, I want to listen to something new, but I end up like listening to this again. (laughs) Um, and that's, you know, that's happened to me a few times and, um, yeah, I like it. I like it more every time. So I feel like I just gave my quarter two, like mini summary of this album in in the review. But so so yeah. be it. So you be fucked, it. You fucked everything up. We have to end fuck, the podcast. Fuck. Um, no, uh, that's interesting. You are. I was not expecting such a strong take. I like this album a lot. I was not prepared to go there. Um, yeah. But now I'm inspired to see if I could be. Um, yeah. <laughs> Because uh, certainly the strengths you point to are are great strengths. Um, it's uh, uh, the lyrics are just astonishingly good. Um, yeah. yeah. For somebody that I presume is still very young, I don't have any idea how old. No, she is. God, she's probably like <laughs> fucking nineteen. Yeah. Um, it's funny. The cover is apparently her uncle holding her. Yes. And then I looked at pictures of her, and they look exactly the same. They look yeah. like the same person to the point that I started googling like whether she was a transsexual or something. Um, because it's, yes, she does have a she does have a shaved head now, which yeah helps the yeah, and and just looks exactly like this man who is her uncle who's holding her as a baby on this photo. Yes. Um, so uh, my mind was blown, but it, that's beso- neither here nor there. It's just a funny detail. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, the lyrics are really good. Uh, you mentioned the sadness. I don't even think of it as a sad album. I think of it as, um, an album that's just really beautifully telling true or maybe not true stories, but true seeming stories. Yes. Um, in a way that of course will like truth incorporate sadness and, and use that, but, um, it's not going out of its way to be sad or anything, which plenty right. of, of good art does. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, even just, um, you mentioned pretty things, you know, it's not exactly sad, but there is some sort of lingering sadness under it, even as it's giving, um, one of the better renderings of sex in an indie rock song that I can recall. <laughs> yes. Totally. Um, in that it's not, you know, while being, f- pretty explicit there's even maybe a double entendre on lips um that uh i don't know whether that's intended or not but that's Mm. how i can't help hearing it um that is uh if if it is intended that way fairly explicit um but you know it ends up being more mysterious and um evocative than prurient and gross like like i feel like most art about sex ends up being um for instance, I watched The Counselor recently, and like the opening to that is a sex scene, and it just ends up being like, "Oh my God, really, Scott? Get your fucking uh, shitty porn out of my face!" Um, but <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a really thoughtful, well done album. Um, you know, I mentioned the lack of big guitar riffs, and I think that is to the album's advantage. In that, as much as I love them those are uh, a cheap and easy trick relatively speaking and mm-hmm. they're supplanted here by um the sort of uh just just good inventive quiet guitar songwriting that um certainly exists but that uh it's it's very hard to just rely on we're going to write good chords good melodies good harmonies and that's going to that's going to get us through um when so much of pop music is built on we're just going to use gigantic dynamic shifts to uh to make this happen um 
So uh, props to them. It's a really clever, interesting album. And Big Thief has just gone from a cool young band to um, a really fascinating band for the future because the skills they exhibit here um, should should do well for them uh, for a long time to come. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really heartening that bands like um, Big Thief, Car Seat Headrest, um, you know, one album we haven't talked about yet uh this quarter like chastity belt um there's there's a few there's several more that are just like these bands that kind of coming out of this new grunge revival are realizing that it's not just about the kind of the the dynamics of that you know loud quiet loud or whatever and it's more about there's like so many opportunities for really really beautiful music um we talked about this before how we just think this kind of music is maybe a little better than you know there's or offers a lot more opportunities than like the mid you know mid aughts indie music uh yeah what's what's happening now just there's just it it's giving these art artists more tools to work with the really good ones i think um Mm. yeah yeah Maybe we did discuss that. I don't. That's, that's well. An that's interesting we didn't take for sure that that second part. I f- I feel like we discussed how we didn't like, or how like two thousand you know two thousand to two thousand ten. That style of indie music was not as much our thing as the indie music happening now. Which is I would agree to, with that. Yes. But, yes. <laughs> um, no. This uh this is a really interesting good band. We should say the name Adrian Linker uh, since we've talked so much about her. Yes, she's twenty. Stuff. She's twenty five. Okay. Uh, so you know. Yeah. yeah. May she continue to write beautiful things. May she continue to put out a fucking album every year. That would be yes. amazing if an indie band did that. That would rule. <laughs> that would rule. Um, really, it's just rappers with their mixtapes on um, often really boring beats who do that now. Um, so, uh, so props to that. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts, Joe, on, uh, Big Thief, Fleet Foxes, uh, and, or the connection between the two, if we could make one Well, we right did, now. we did kind of, like, offer these as some sort of folk yeah. duo. I, d- I don't know. I don't know that yeah. they're, they're pretty different bands. Well, yeah. And it's interesting because I think of, I'm not like a folky person at all but Mm -hmm. um these these both definitely get labeled with the folk rock label uh sorry for that poor sentence construction um and uh uh it is like you said they're at the same time extremely different so it's a folk is a bigger tint than i uh had in mind and i should keep that in mind for the future um then again i don't know that i would have said ah big thief folk rock unless i had just seen it said a bunch of times so right yeah and right and fleet foxes are such a i mean they've been around for 10 years now so yeah it's a different uh <laughs> and they have 50 percent more albums than big thief who have been around for like a year as far as i know true true um yes but i have i have little to say about them other than that quarter two it fucking rules and there's just been a yeah. shit ton of good music yeah i'm gonna it's have to awesome. cut Several albums better than my favorite album from last quarter. Yes. Probably. Yes. By the time we get to the end of it. Yeah. Um, so looking forward to that. Uh, <laughs> we could almost do that. It'll probably be like our second or third episode from now. So, yes. Um, anyway, uh, Joe, 
go find us a great the 311 song uh to listen to uh yes. on our outro yes you lucky people that are going to get to listen to it right now mm-hmm. keep your um, head keep your feet on the ground people put your head in the clouds uh, <laughs> we're not even going to sign off let's just end it there <laughs> <laughs>